Pastor John. Um, again, please don't give me that title. I'm, I'm not used to it yet. Um, all that to say is this. Uh, it's great to be here. Uh, you know, last night it was funny when we were talking to the leaders. Uh, the parallel to our story and your story is one that's so mirrored that uh, I didn't even think about this. But basically, six years ago, we were in your shoes in a different building. We started a, build, a service at a new site, uh, Philmont Christian Academy, if you're familiar with Philadelphia. Uh, and God has blessed us tremendously. We're now um, six years past that. We're now we organize. We have our elders and et cetera and things like that. Uh, but last year, we actually launched our first daughter's church. And so God has been blessing us to the point where we're beginning to now uh, think through a vision of really kind of reaching more people with uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, I hope that kind of gives you a, a picture of hopefully of what you are able to come as well, uh, become as well. Um, just a quick kind of affirmation or word as we were worshiping. Um, a, an old song, a hymn came to mind that I just wanted to impart to you as a kind of encouragement from the Lord. It's from the, the hymn, Brave is Thy Faithfulness. Uh, but in that hymn where it says, uh, strength for today, bright hope for tomorrow. Um, I think that's just a great word uh, that you can be encouraged by today. Just to think about the purity of that hymn. Strength for today is going to require a lot of work and a bright hope for MCF in the future. What I wanted to say earlier about the parallel. So when we started six years ago, we came out and we were GCF, not MCF. And then now we're Grace Point Church. So think about it. So it's literally one, one letter, right, of a change of a difference. And yet our story is one where God has been faithful to us over the years. So with that said, if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 and 33. The sermon is entitled, The Dearest Place on Earth. I'll read scripture, I'll pray for us, and then we'll dive into our time for today. Again, this is an unfamiliar text for some of us to think through at a church, but I actually thought, when, when Pastor John asked me, he literally just asked me a couple weeks ago, I said, right when I got the email, I said, this is a text that I felt called to. And so I wanted to make sure you're, you're, you're encouraged to really see this in light of today, because I think it's actually really powerful to be encouraged by through God's word. So let's sit under God's word today as I read Ephesians 5, verses 21 to 33. Here now a reading of God's word. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his mother and fa mother, father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And all God's people say, would you pray with me as we hear God's word? Let's pray. Father, again, what a delight, what a privilege to be able to see these saints here gathered at St. John's of all places. We know, Father, the church is not about a building, but it's about your people gathered in your presence to worship and uplift the name of Jesus. And even as we think, Father, of our songs, even to this point, that we uplifted the name of Jesus, the name above all names, the name that indeed brings salvation. I pray, Lord, that there would be a profound sense of excitement amongst your people here, that, Lord, as they begin this journey to redo church here at this place, it would be an excitement, Lord, where, again, Jesus is exalted. Father, be with us now that as we hear your word, would you give us open hearts? Would you give us attentive hearts? Would you give us, Father, the hearts that want to receive from you all the grace and the blessing that you have in store, that as we receive it indeed, that our lives would be transformed because of Christ. To him be the glory. Bless now, Father, the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
So as we begin, I want to just kind of ask and start with this question of, what is the dearest place on earth? Now, if you, if you can answer that question, what do you think it would be? For some of you, you might want to say, well, the dearest place might be my home on a couch watching a game. Some of you might say my dearest place would be a, a place in which I kind of just relax. Maybe it's a coffee shop or a restaurant, it might be. Uh, for some of the kids, if they were still in here, they might say, well, the dearest place would be Disney World, right? And it's funny because as parents, right, if you are a parent, you know that if you've ever taken a trip down to Disney World, it might be great for the kids, um, but it's not necessarily the dearest place for parents to be because you find that there's so many things that you have to deal with. And it's even fascinating when you think about that, right? On one mission trip that I went to in Ukraine, I remember talking to someone about the gospel. And as we talked about heaven, the person paused and asked me in response and said, hey, hey Robert, uh, what's, what's heaven like? Is, is heaven like Disneyland. And I remember being struck and saying, you know, heaven is so much greater than Disneyland. What if I were to challenge you to this morning and to at least consider that we're going to look at this eventually from Spurgeon, but that one of the dearest places you could possibly be is actually right here in this place, gathered as the church and actually worshiping Christ. Would you believe that? One of my favorite passages I, I've read growing up was, was uh, John 21. It always resonates with me. It's the story of the restoration of Peter. You know the story, right? Jesus is restoring, restoring Peter, and he asks three different questions. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And each single time, Jesus responds with some form of affirmation, but he also points to feeding my sheep. One of the things I realized is that, you know, it, we're going to talk about this more a little bit later, but if you really do respond in an affirmation of a love for Christ, you know that it ought to also pertain to a love for his bride, the church, as well. That if anything, that the challenge for this passage for us today is to say, if we truly love Jesus, we're actually going to love his bride, the church, as well. Uh, I want to begin with just a quick sense of affirmation. So for those of you guys who know, again, I'm from Philadelphia, although I will say I'm from California. So if you know the story of the Sixers, right, the Sixers have tanked over the past couple years, and they've gone through draftic after draftic, and basically the entire time that they were going through this, and I actually bought, like, you know, a mini-season pass, you know, type of thing, and I went to these games, and it was awful, it was horrible. But the entire time through the Sixers, their, like, kind of marketing plan was trust the process, trust the process, right? And they're basically saying trust the process so that you're here today, and you're at a point where you're like the Sixers are hopefully in contention, they're young players, and they'll get better. And I want to at least affirm for you today that in the same exact way, um, you guys are just beginning. And where we started six years ago to do this, it was hard to imagine. In fact, there was a tremendous amount of work that we had to go through. And the entire time I was, again, encouraging our sheep with the very same thing, trust the process. And here's the trust of the process. It doesn't come from just a pastor, but it comes from God's word. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus is right after the confession of Peter, of his faith in Christ. He, he says what? He says, and I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And my hope and encouragement is that as you begin MTF, is that you would take heed to that. The process is that God is building MTF. And that whatever obstacles might come your way, that you know, again, that even the gates of Hades cannot prevail against it. So it's interesting because I know it's, it's December, it's wedding season. And, and it's not wedding season because in the Northeast, we know that wedding season begins to shut off, right, when winter comes, right? Uh, in Philadelphia, I've done a, a tremendous amount of weddings over the past 12 years that we've been there. And it's funny because every single time you go to a wedding, you actually preach on, you, you'll hear a sermon often from Ephesians 5. And what I find fascinating about it is if you, if you read closely, right, the Apostle Paul explicitly says this. He says, although there's like a little however that this could pertain to marriage, the thrust of the text that we're looking at today actually is about the church. And that actually we can glean from this part of Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus to be able to say, you know what? That you as a church might actually be built up to understand it to a greater extent. 
And to understand it in which way. Um, so there's this guy, an old church father, right? Cyprian uh, said this very famous quote. He can no longer have God for his father who has not the church for his mother. Now, again, let's pause and reflect this old language. It doesn't quite uh, chime with our understanding today. But if you read it clearly, here's what he's getting at. And this is oftentimes what we see today in the church. Some people will say, hey, you know what? I have a great fond ab- admiration and adoration for Jesus Christ. When it comes down to me understanding his grace and his love for me, I get it. And I can see, in fact, God as my father. Well, when it comes down to this relationship with the understanding of the church, or at least the idea of an institutionalized church, people will say, that's where I I have a hard time. I don't know my place. I don't know where my faith and what it means to say I believe in Jesus and how that belongs. And what Cyprian was getting at is saying this. If you have God as your father but don't have the church as your mother, your understanding is to say, you know what, it's like saying I love God but I don't love your wife. Now imagine for a second, my wife's name is Wendon, as Pastor John already said. Imagine if you were, if you're at my church and you said, Pastor Rob, I really like you. But your wife, man, I can't stand her. Now imagine for a second, okay, you come over to my house. You think that would be cool? And the answer is probably not. The same thing would obviously apply to Pastor John and Sarah and every other of the pastor's wives. If you think about it, right, it makes sense. But some of the times we don't think about it in the nature of the church. My question, I guess, as you begin, as we think about this, even in terms of where you stand here today, is do you love the church as much as you understand that you would love God as your father or to have a love for Jesus Christ? Do you love NCF in such a way that as you begin this journey, you realize that your faith and your adoration toward Jesus also applies to his bride as well? That, again, if we have a love for him as father, We'll also have a love for his mother, which is, again, the bride of Jesus Christ. So this, this phrase, dearest place on earth, I'm actually not taking on my own. I don't want to take credit for that. It actually comes from Charles Spurgeon. If you know Charles Spurgeon, he was this great young kind of avid leader within England. And long story short, he had this very, very famous quote where he began to, like, think about the church, about what it is. And, again, he understood it to say that the church, in fact, is indeed one of the dearest places on earth. And so let me read you this quote because I think it's really powerful. And it also gives you a vision for what NCF might become. He writes and says this, give yourself to the church. You that are members of the church have not found it perfect, and I hope that you feel almost glad that you have not. If I had never joined a church till I had found one that was perfect, I would have never joined one at all. And at that moment, I did join it. If I had found one, I should have spoiled it, for it would not have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. Again, just kind of highlighting, there is no perfect church. NCF is not a perfect church, just like Grace Point is not a perfect church. And again, because we're in New York City, just like Redeemer is not a perfect church as well. And here's what he says. Still, imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. All who have first given themselves to the Lord should, as speedily as possible, also give themselves to the Lord's people. How else is there to be a church on the earth? If it is right for anyone to refrain from membership of the church, it is right for everyone. And then the testimony of God would be lost to the world. Do you get what Spurgeon is getting at? He's basically encouraging you to realize that, hey, the church is not going to be perfect. And yet God calls your attention to, again, a love and an adoration for his bride. I mean, quickly, and this is going to be ever so quick, but I want to, oh, sorry, I didn't give you that thing. But I want to just quickly teach on this idea of, of what NCF and Grace Point and all these things are. So we would understand in Scripture that there is an a invisible church. And the invisible church is this, that for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, Romans 10.33. And yet there are these things called visible churches, right? And the visible churches are things like NCF, Grace Point, et cetera, et cetera. 
what these are is these are the called out saints of God. Let me just read really quick. Uh, the visible church consists of all those who make a profession of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ together with their children. A local church consists of a number of professing Christians with their children who are associated together, and hear this, for the purpose of divine worship and godly living all according to the word of God. I at least wanted to paint that as a picture for you to realize what is MCF and what are you as a group together? You are the called out people of God to declare again the praises and the wonder of God's glory, the mysteries of the gospel of Jesus Christ as you associate together as a family. And again, as you think about that in mind, again, going now back to Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul, again, he, although he doesn't say it, I think what he's getting is to say, well, the church is, is a dear institution. It's the bride, right? And, and there's three points I kind of want to take from the text. And the three things are these, is that the church indeed then is the dearest place. It exemplifies the dearest love. And lastly, it becomes the dearest witness. Again, kind of borrowing from Spurgeon, looking at Ephesians 5, let's kind of take a look at the text together. The first is to realize it's the dearest place. What do I mean by dearest place? I don't mean a physical building. And church, would you keep that in mind? Again, the church is not a building. Right? This is just a college camp. This is a lecture. You came here as a student. This is just a lecture. But at this present hour, it's the church. Because, again, you are the called out people of God for the declaring of the worship of God. But think through this in the sense of not place in the sense of physical building, but a place in the sense of posture. Now, Paul begins, right, and I know this to be true, right, because we do a lot of marriages, and in our marriages, we also do premarital counseling. And so in Philadelphia, just like New York, highly kind of liberal city in the sense of demographic center and all that stuff, right, P women will come in, oftentimes they'll say, Pastor Rob, please don't go over this passage again. This is a passage we simply do not want to hear. And again, for those of you who are married, I just want to encourage you that this is in Scripture. But Scripture says what? Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. We get to this place, and again, what, what I mean by that, uh, of a place, is to say that it's the posture to which God calls the church is a position and a posture of what? Of submission. Again, not just in marriage, but more so for the church. And what does that mean? What it means is this, is that, and what Paul gets at, it's the same submission that Jesus Christ himself exemplified as he went on a mission from the Lord to go and rescue and redeem that which is lost. And again, for you wives who think about that word submission, and you think of it in a negative connotation, I want to just affirm for you what Scripture says. The very same root word that's found there in Ephesians 5 is the same word that's used for the submission of Jesus Christ to fulfill that which ultimately would redeem us. So I often want to tell women say this, is that that's not a position of weakness. It's a position of great honor. It's a position to which God, again, called even his own son to do to rescue and redeem us. But let's go back to this idea for us as a church. If you're going to begin as NCF, the posture of what God calls dear is to actually say, you know what, when we're in a position of yielding, when we're in a position of saying, you know what, not my will, God, but your will be done, that's actually the best place we could possibly be. Look again at all these things, right? It talks about this, again, again for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to God, so also wives submit to submit in everything through their husbands. The very idea here, right, is to say that the church's position and posture, the way it becomes dear is that when we're able as the people of God to say, again, Lord, I submit to you. I'm going to begin this journey. And again, I thought of what better message for you to hear to be able to say that what would it look like if NCF begins its journey here? That you as the people of God would say, that's going to be the place that we will begin from. Lord, submitting unto your direction 
submitting to your shepherds and your leaders who have called you, submitting to the point in which you're saying, again, not my will, but God, your will be done. Recently, I preached from a sermon in Matthew 6 in regards to treasures in heaven. I'm going to just borrow this illustration that I ultimately borrowed from Tim Keller, but all that to say is this. Um, you know, he, he gives this illustration and say, you know, what, what's one of the reasons why, you know, people oftentimes miss kind of the blessing of God? And he says, one of the reasons why is because ultimately they want control of their lives, and so they're holding on to things, right? The analogy or the illustration goes in such a way as that if, if I were to say to you, right, if I want to give you $100,000 in cash, and I say, I want to just give it to you but your hands are, are held tightly firm to something else. It says, how can you receive when your hands are held tightly to something? It says, you can't. His point is, right, he's saying that ultimately our posture before God needs to be what? Open-handed. Because when we're open-handed, that's when we can receive the grace that really God pours into our lives. It's that open-handedness that really the Apostle Paul is getting at to, to not just wives, but again, to the church. That the church postures itself in such a way where it says, Lord, I'm open-handed. My hope and prayer is this, is that NCF begins and the encouragement of God's word this day is that you would see that. That God calls you as a church to be open-handed before him. Pastor John already mentioned there's going to be a tremendous amount of work. We lived through this in Philadelphia. It was something that basically I said, hey, we're going to go on this journey together and it's going to be difficult. The beauty of it is what? It's the promise that we had. Again, God would build his church. We worked at it, we worked hard, we labored and toiled, we built the church, and again, at some point or another, I said, hey, when we get to a certain point, we're going to go and plant another church, let's do it again. So we're going through that same journey again, our planter right now is going through the arduous journey, but again, what's being beautiful as well, at least for our people, is what we're saying is, hey, just be open-handed, posture yourself in, which, in such a way to say, you know what, again, it doesn't make sense. I'll give you a quick example. In, in our church's situation, we had a couple of guys who were against our church plan, right? Why were they against our church plan? They're like, Pastor Rob, we could just get bigger. We can make more money. We can do all these things. We have all these things in mind. And I said, but look, that doesn't have the kingdom in mind. If you have the kingdom in mind, you're able to realize, again, not our will, not my will, but God, your will, not my kingdom, but God, your kingdom in mind. Secondly, uh, the dearest love. And again, we know this passage so well. And, that, and again, I just want to encourage the husbands here. You know that the challenge given in Ephesians 5 is that you as husbands, you have a harder task than I would say in regards to saying that you're living out of the very demonstration of the love of Jesus toward your spouse. And so just as a quick FYI, you husbands, I mean, you look toward Jesus. And again, what he did for you, you're called again to do toward your spouse. And think about how amazing that is. But let's talk about what I think Paul is getting at here again because he has in mind the church. And if you've ever seen, for example, the De Beers commercial, right, it's kind of fascinating, right? So the De Beers commercial is one that does what, um, right? Uh, there, there's a guy in the middle of the street, and, and he goes out, and, and he, you know, there's the, uh, the, there's the pigeons all around, and it's about, he's about to propose. And he goes, and he goes, I love this woman, right? And he declares it, right? And then again, the woman at the end, she's like, yeah, I know, right? Um, but I, I love that commercial because what I think the Apostle Paul is doing is in a very similar vein. He's declaring his love for the church. He says, look, what I have in mind is this bride. And this bride, you need to realize, I'm going to pay dearly for it. What will I pay? How will I, I, I purchase this bride? I'm going to pay with it with my very own life. Look again at the wording, right? The word goes what? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, that he might present the church himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and blameless. And what he's doing is he's saying, guys, look, I'm going to put my wife upon a pedestal. I'm going to say, look how much I love the church. 
And again, what becomes fascinating in Scripture, and you know this to be true, is this, right? The church, in all of its understanding, is not going to be faithful. But God is going to be faithful again and again. Some of you guys will know the story of Hosea, which mirrors this understanding of marriage, right? So Hosea becomes this prophet, and God calls Hosea the prophet to say, hey, go and pick for your wife a wife of four lands. And your children, in fact, are going to be children of four lands. And go from there and, and exemplify what it means to a faithful spouse unto this person who will more or less be adulterous and continue to leave you within the covenant of marriage. What God is doing in the story of Hosea is doing what? Saying, guys, this is exactly what God does in his love for the church and for us as well. And again, he displays it again and again and again. And just like with Hosea, the challenge for us as a body is to realize that you begin to be able to understand is that it's actually the love of God that propels you to realize that you are so dearly loved that you begin in that confidence. Um, there's a saying that recently I've been re- wrestling through. And it's, it's this, uh, hurt people hurt people. Do you want me to say that again? Hurt people tend to hurt people. It's kind of a, a big counseling phrase as of late. But I would also argue the opposite to be true is that loved people love people. And as NCF begins this journey, if I can just reiterate this for you, what Ephesians 5 tells the church is that the church, you are dearly loved in Christ Jesus. And you walk in that confidence. You know, spouses, again, like wives, I, I think about uh, my wife and what I always tell one man over the years, that we've been married now uh, 19 years this coming May, is more than anything else, despite all those feelings, I hope and pray that she would always feel as though she is loved by me. And that she is, if she is confident in that love, she will go and be confident both to love our children and to love those around us. And I think about that as the nature of the church as well. If you as NCF begin this journey, realize that, again, you start with the beginning to say you are the beloved bride of Jesus and that he's faithful. As Hosea did not leave Gomer, so likewise God would not leave you nor forsake you. As you begin this journey, that you realize that you begin with the footsteps of those that say that God loves each and every one of you. That you begin as a church that, again, understands that you are the beloved bride and you move forward from there. The last point is this, is that you become the dearest witness. And again, this isn't something that I'm just simply pulling out of the hat, although by all means it's something that I wanted to encourage you with as the body. At the very end of the passage of verse 32, the apostle writes very explicitly and says, Hey guys, this is the mystery of God that's being revealed. So this very nature between husband and wife, the very nature between God and the bride of Jesus, the church of Jesus Christ, and again, that invisible church, what he's basically saying is a mystery is being revealed. And for those of you who like books or genres, a great mystery is what? Is that things are kind of coming out like a secret is being revealed. It's like, ta-da, it comes out. And what's kind of beautiful about weddings is this, and, and again, I have a big missions heart, so if you go to any country around the world, mis- the, the beautiful thing about weddings is weddings are not something that are ever kept secret. Weddings are actually always told right so for example if today literally was a wedding people outside would be like wow there's something cool going on here because there's like a wedding going on and for example like when we got married random people on the street would just clap why because they said there's a witness of a wedding and we rejoice in that the very same thing i think that's what the apostle paul is getting at in regards to saying when this mystery is becoming revealed it's actually not a mystery that's supposed to be kept secret but it's a mystery that's supposed to be told. And again, just keep this in mind, what Spurgeon, what others have always said about kind of what God is going to use in this present day and age to share the gospel of Jesus Christ is what? It's his bride. It's the church. 
as stained, as, as wrinkled as she might be, that God's going to continue to cover, and he's going to put her on display and says, I love the church because the church becomes a place of witness. The church becomes a place in which they go and tell. Uh, I, I think one of the, s- the taglines for your church is going to be is that you're, you're gathered to be scattered, right? You, you're, you're coming here to encourage in the gospel that you would go forth, and, but you would actually become a dearest witness because that God calls you, in fact, to become that witness, a place where people are set apart for the gospel, a place where people go forth and they reveal. Think about it, what it would look like if you think through the nature of the church from the lens of Luke chapter 6, verse 32 to 35. The, the, Je- Jesus is talking about kind of the nature of what it would look like, and, and, and I don't want to make, per se, this an accusation as it is more really an understanding of something that we deal with as a church as well. Uh, Jesus is talking, he says this, he says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love you, love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what ben- benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to go to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be the sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. If you get what Jesus is getting at, he says this. He says, imagine for a second where the church gathered, and it's supposed to be a marveled witness, right? If we're gathered only because, again, we're, we're supposed to be gathered anywhere. Like you could take any, for example, any criteria, right? It could be race. It could be socioeconomic status. It could be the fact that we all like the Knicks or the Sixers or whatever it might be. We say those are the reasons why we're gathered together. He says, if that doesn't take the gospel, if that doesn't take Jesus for you to come gather, why would you boast in it? But isn't the mystery of the gospel, this idea of the secret being revealed, is that he calls all, he calls the broken, the lost, etc. And the reason why you're gathered is that really, in essence, is that we could say that the gospel, the love of Jesus Christ is being revealed that so that those who would even be our enemies, that's the reason why we're gathered together. We're, we're called together in that way. John 13, 35 would say this, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What if the church becomes a place where again we see that God would continue to place the church as a witness for Jesus Christ? The church is the people where God says, there I will show you how much I love you all to be gathered in the name of Jesus, to run the race together as a family. Um, Let me end with a couple of thoughts, right? Uh, There's when we think about the nature of the church, uh, going back to this idea of why we huddle together, uh, there's these two quotes that I, I think are very powerful. Powerful. Uh, the church is the only society, this is William um, Temple, who was an archbishop early uh, in history, the only society that exists for the benefit of those who are not its members. Uh, what would it look like if NCF begins, and as you begin this journey, you're able to say, you know what, uh, the reason why we're gathered is actually not just for us. But even as you start here at this campus, is that you're able to say, you know what, we actually exist for our non-members. John Sott said it differently. He said it in a similar vein, though. He says, are we more like a church or are we more like a club? A club spends its dues on the needs of the members. A church spends its dues on the needs of its non-members. And again, I think a lot of churches miss this idea. We think we become like a club. We become something that the world doesn't marvel at, but the world says, hey, we're supposed to be like that. But what would it look like if you begin this journey and you're able to say, you know what, we're going to be the bride of Jesus, standing out radiantly within this world, that the world just simply marvels and say, why don't churches exist like this? 
they're not about themselves. They're about blessing the heathen. They're blessing the oikosis. They're blessing the camping. They're blessing wherever you might be. Uh, let me, I'll have you watch a video and then I'll, I'll close up. Well, if you can, just it'll illustrate what I just talked about. So again, what would it look like as a church if you would not be a club, but again, a variety of meeting of, of life station of the gospel of Jesus Christ for those who are lost. Let me end with just a couple of thoughts that uh, have been near and dear for me. So when I was younger, I used to pray this prayer, break my heart before it breaks you. For those of you who know this, I think it's a powerful prayer because again, if you think about the things that are upon God's heart, you would ask yourself, well, yeah, I, I want what's upon your heart exemplify that this was a marriage. So I've been married now for 19 years and again I'm from California. I'm a Lakers fan. I grew up with uh, Phil Johnson and the 
the great errors of those days, and we're seeking to remain faithful to that. And my wife, right, won men over the 19 years. Uh, it's funny, she didn't like the Lakers to begin with, but now she likes them. Why? Because I think, again, in the natural sense of marriage, we like what your spouse begins to like, right? It's, it's a natural part of it. As we as the church think about it, again, God has upon his heart the church. He has upon his heart for you today, MCM. And I hope you know in the sense of encouragement, right, he desires for his bride because he loves her so much in this way, right? When you look in scripture, 1 Corinthians 6.20, how precious is the church? It demanded the highest price ever paid. You have been bought with a price, the scriptures say. What price? 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. You were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold or from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Acts 20, 28 refers to the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Realize how precious you are in his gift. That God in his very said love to you purchased it and put the dowry down for this wedding for the occasion that you guys would begin this journey to accomplish their union to him in marriage and life and that he stands behind you let me give you one final picture that we have here and here did i share this with some of your leaders yesterday so one of my great hopes i think for ncf as you guys begin this journey comes from this passage but i want to share the personal narrative when i came to christ my junior in high school one of those guys that immediately started going and sharing the gospel. And again, I grew up in Huntington Beach, California. Long story short, we ended up here. As I shared the gospel, there were often times that I would go and people would literally come to faith. It was kind of God's fortune and blessing upon me to be able to see literally like random people come to faith. And so I remember, for example, one time there was a French guy. Literally, I had to speak French. I, I took French in high school. And he literally said, hey, I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. If you know California, I, I said to myself, hey, you know what? I, I, I need you to go to church need to follow up with this decision. You can't just kind of leave it there. And so I said, hey, why don't you go to Calvary Chapel? I couldn't recommend my church. My church was kind of like NCF or KCQ, I guess, in some ways. A church filled with people that were all just like me. They weren't people of different nations and ethnicities. So long story short, I remember lamenting that. I remember mourning that. And saying to myself, you know what? If I could ever have a church, I want to have a church that ultimately says, with my picture of the kingdom, because again, the picture of the kingdom is found here in Revelation 7.9. After this, this is John writing, right? A great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white and robed with palms and branches in their hands. The picture of the kingdom of God is what? That every tribe, nation, and tongue is gathered to worship my hope is that as NCF begins, is that there would be a picture to be able to say, do you understand how, why, and Jesus, why the bride of Jesus stands so radiant and beautiful? Is because the church opens its doors to everyone. And again, I'm not saying you're going to have to be these things, but my hope and prayer is this, is that you take a look at what you pray in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. The very kingdom we pray is the kingdom of the nations that you would begin to have a hope here to say that this becomes the dearest place for the dearest place on earth, not just for us, but for everyone who will be able to come in. Would you be the bride that stands radiant and beautiful? Would you love her? Would you adorn her? Would you, would you continue to see how God blesses you to be to be a church that stands out here in Huntington City?
bow your heads and pray. Father, I do pray for NCF, Lord, and I do pray that as this church begins its journey, as we're encouraged again to see in Ephesians 5, Lord, you see your bride. And Lord, you stand behind her that you love her so much. Just as, Lord, you call NCF to be a church, we pray, O oh Lord, Father, for your saints here, that, Lord, your spirit would continue to work in them a posture of humility, a posture of submission before you. We pray, Lord, that you would put in them to know, Lord, that as they begin this journey, Lord, that they are so deeply loved, that they would walk in that confidence, Lord, that they indeed would be a witness, that as they leave this place, Lord, they would know that they gather not for their own, that they would not be a club, but, Lord, that they would continue to go on mission as you called them to, to go and share the gospel with their friends, with their families, with their loved ones, with all that they would encounter. That, Lord, again, that NCF would be able to be a shining, radiant bridegroom, a light within a dark city to continue to draw people to Jesus Christ. Bless NCF, Lord, as they begin this journey. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor Robert, for that amazing, encouraging word. I hope you were encouraged and challenged as I was. Uh, we're now going to give God his tithes and our offering. If you're visiting us, uh, hopefully that won't stay that way and you'll stay with us. But if you are visiting us or if you're uh, someone who is not a Christian, please don't feel free. Um, please don't feel obligated, excuse me, to, to give. But if you are a member of this body and if you call NCF uh, your home, uh, let's give to God his tithes and our offerings.